Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Good morning. How you guys doing this morning? Doing good? Happy long weekend. It's great to have you here uh, at church on a long weekend. It's awesome. It's great to be here at church on a long weekend. While I uh, just get some things settled up here, why don't you turn to the person beside you and just uh, tell them a little bit about what you have done thus far this weekend with the weather that we've been having. Alrighty. It's good. We're gonna get. Uh, we're gonna jump into things here this morning. Before we before we do, I want to just take a second introduce myself uh, as Pastor Ben introduced me. My name is Jared. I'm part of the team here at Slate Church. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, just want to give you a little context of uh, of who I am. And hopefully, I haven't met everybody here. And the reason I say hopefully I haven't met everybody here is not because I hope that I haven't met you. It's just that I hope that we're still inviting people into what God is doing here at Slate Church and what God is doing through this expression and through these services. I think sometimes uh, we can get so in the pattern and the routine of coming to church and being a part of something that we forget that this good news, this gospel that God has for us is actually just as much for the people outside of the building right now as it is for the people inside. And so hopefully we haven't met, um, but if we haven't, my name's Jared, part of the team here, and I'm excited to talk about um, Philia today, one of the four loves that we've been chatting about. And I just want to say a big thank you to Pastor Brandon and Pastor Emma for giving me the opportunity to share on this. Um, this is a really cool, uh, cool series that we're in. I don't think that we've ever really done something like this in this format as a church before, and so I'm excited to unpack it and open it up. But before I do, I had something that was rolling around in my brain, and I wasn't going to say it, but it's just stuck there right now, and I can't move past it. But when the Herringers were talking about uh, the farm, and they were like, we were on this farm, and Pastor Brandon was there on this farm. It was actually, uh, it was Pastor Ben's farm, and we were standing side stage, and Pastor Ben's like, he's a little bit unassuming. You wouldn't assume that he is like a farmer and has a farm until he gets on the stage and says things like hunky-dory, and then immediately you're like, there he is. This is the farmer, and it's coming out. I was going to leave it, but I just literally couldn't get it out of my mind, and I just had to say it. I love it. I think it's one of the coolest things. He's so professional, such a businessman, and then he says hunky-dory in a, in a giving talk, and I, I love it. I think it's the best. Anyways, moving on from that, we are in week two of our uh, For Love series, and as I was uh, preparing for this, I'm really excited to talk about it. I'm really excited to talk about friendship, and we'll break, I'll break down a little bit why, but as I was preparing for this, I, I began to wonder, like, why is it four loves? Like, where, where do these four loves come from? How come there's not more loves? How come there's not, you know, one love? Uh, in, in English today, uh, as Pastor Nate was saying last week, we have one word for love, right? And it kind of covers a whole bunch of different things. When I say I love my daughter Vivian, um, I love her. And, and, and that's just one word that describes my feelings towards her. I also love my wife, Elizabeth. And the way that I love my daughter and the way that I love my wife are, are similar in the sense that we're part of a family unit. But there are very different ways that, that I love them. I also love the example I kept coming back to um, when I was prepping was uh, Chuck E. Cheese. But I don't, I don't love Chuck E. Cheese at all. As a kid, I did. But I could take it or leave it now. But uh, I do love cereal, and the way that I love cereal is very different than the way that I love Vivian. But there's one word for all of these different kinds of loves. And so it becomes a little bit confusing, and then we have to spend time explaining to one another, this is how I love that thing, and you got to use all these words and sentences and phrases to give context to the kind of love that you feel towards something or someone. 
But in Greek, in uh, the language that the New Testament, the portion of the Bible that looks uh, on the life of Jesus, in, in the, the language that that was written, in the time that that was written in, there were actually four distinct words that meant different types of love. And that is how we get the four loves that we're talking about today. And two of these loves we really see uh, prominent in Scripture, that agape love, that self-sacrificing, sacrificial love. And this is what Pastor Nate spoke on uh, quite a bit last week. And then uh, this love, uh, philia, or philios, that we see often in in scripture talks about this friendship love what it means to be a friend to somebody and so that's how we get uh, that's how we get the four loves and the reason that it's important to understand these types of love right because right now we're just talking about language we're talking about how we describe things who cares that was one of the things that I kept thinking about as I was prepping this message I was like who cares about the different definitions of love like why does this matter and it only matters in so much as it helps us understand who God is and it helps us understand the love that God has for us. As Pastor Nate said last week, God is love. All beautiful and whole uh, pictures of love come from God. He is the originator of this thing that is love, that is affection, that is relationship. And, and all of the, the, the good elements of our love. Because, you know, there's a lot of, of negative elements of love that we see in, in this broken world that we live in. But all good love comes from God and, and finds itself back in God. And so the more that we can understand these four different kinds of love the more that we'll be able to understand the love that God has for us as people. And not only will we be able to understand the love that God has for us as people, but we'll be able to better love the people around us, better demonstrate, better reflect the love that God has for us to those that we get to live day in and day out with. Because imagine, like, you're sitting in this room, and you've got all kinds of different people in your life. Some of you have family members. Some of you have friends. Some of you have coworkers. Um, I think pretty well that's all the categories. Uh, maybe, like, people you do school with. But, um, but in each of those relationships in your life, it's a different kind of dynamic, and there's a different kind of love that you get to express towards those people. And I'm excited to talk about philia today because philia is interesting amongst the four loves. And the reason that it's interesting is because it's the least necessary of the four loves. It's the least biological is another way of saying it. At least biological, the least necessary of the four loves. You can go your whole life without really loving your friends or being loved by your friends, and you can make it from, from A to Z. You can continue on. Humankind can continue on without friendship. You can even be a part of a community without building and forming deep friendships and loving people and being loved by people in, in, the, in terms of, of, of a friendship relationship. And that, I think, is, is actually kind of a dangerous thing, the fact that we don't we don't absolutely need it. You know, like um, uh, Storge, as we were talking about last week, it's this affection, it's this familial love. So it's the love that a parent feels for their child. And, and that love is, 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 there's almost like this biological like, um, thing that happens. I remember the day that I saw Vivian and my wife gave uh, birth to our daughter and I was in the hospital and, and Vivian came out. And I remember the very first thing that I ever thought, I was expecting to have this beautiful moment of like, oh, I'll give my life for this baby. And the baby came out and I just remember thinking, she looks exactly like my dad. And I just thought, like, I hope that that changes. Please, God. But then over the next few weeks, like, that, that change in her face, it started to look more like me because I look like my dad. And I continued to think, God, please let her look more like her mom as she gets older. And, but, but, but there was a biological thing that was happening because even as this baby looked like me, I began to, to, to build a, a bond and an affinity for them. And it, and it changed even just physiologically my, the way the outlook that I had on this child. And then you even you, t you talk about um, Eros, so this romantic love, right? And you, I think everybody here, like, you can kind of understand how that, like, physically, like, you see somebody, like, wow, this is the most beautiful person. I remember the day that I met uh, Beth, and I remember just being like, I remember thinking, I met her, we were at church, 
It's a great place to meet people that you could potentially marry. And I met her, and I was looking at her. I remember thinking in my mind, like, holy smokes, everything that I do uh, in term, before I date this woman is just wasting time. That was, like, the first thing that I thought in my mind when I saw her because there was just so much, like, and I didn't know anything about her. Like, who, who knows? I'm glad it all worked out. It could have been, like, really, we just started on attraction, to be honest. But... But there was like this, this physical reaction that I had when I saw Elizabeth. And, 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 and it's actually by design that those two things evoke a physical reaction. Because in order for humankind to continue on, in order for God's creation, which he loves so much, to carry forward, we have to procreate, right, in order to do that. And so there's this physical element to, to that love. And then there's also like children, babies, like Vivian is 11 months old now and she can't do anything for herself. She can't even walk. And so I have to like really care about her and love her over as she develops to become an independent human being. And so both of these are necessary. And that isn't just like happenstance that, that they, they evoke so much um, engagement from us as human beings. That's by design. Because God said, man, if we need these people to continue on, they're really gonna have to love one another and they're really gonna have to love the thing that they create to protect it. But when it comes to friendship, when it comes to Philly and the love that we feel towards our friends, it's very, very different in the sense that it's not absolutely necessary. And that, that kind of makes it like a really, really intriguing one to talk about. You could go your whole life without really having a, a deep friendship, a love for somebody that is, that is selfless. Something that I think is really interesting about Philia is that it, that it is one of the more selfless loves because there's not a, a, a direct benefit that you necessarily get from a friend. Sometimes there is, and I think even in our Western society, as we look at this love, the context in which we're talking about it today, it is pretty interesting because in the West, one of the things that we value so much as people and in our society is individualism, right? This idea of the American dream or the Canadian dream where we can kind of build and acquire, and if you work hard enough and if you just focus, you can get where you want to get, and there's a lot of like individualism in our society, and it kind of compounds this this lost art of, of the love of a friend, this lost art of Philly. You can go even just in that like hustle and grind mentality where it's just like you got to work hard. And if you want to work hard, you got to cut the people out of your life so you can focus on the main things. And even if we have people in our life, there's a temptation for us in the society that we've grown up in to look at those people as potential commodities or things that can move us from one point to the next point. Well, if I, if I build a relationship, I better keep my friendship with this person because they're super well-connected in, in the city. And if I ever need a job, I know I could always talk to them. I better keep my friendship with this person because, you know, they're always going on vacations and maybe one day they're just going to bring us along and pay for everything. And, you know, it, I never thought that before in my life. <laughs> then I had to reprimand myself, rebuke myself. But, you, but you, we can see friendships through these lenses of, like, the, they become commodities and people become commodities that we can use for our own selfish purposes, our own self-interest. And there's something really beautiful about philia is that it requires from us, in its, in its purest form, it requires from us a selflessness to be thinking of others and to be engaging with others, not out of some, some need or some, um, some thing that we have to get done, but it actually just out of an interest and a love for that person. And so um, the other thing that, uh, that, that philia is, it makes philia interesting is that it's often um, centers around like a common interest, which I think is really interesting for us that are here in the room, that, that for, for many of us in the room would share a common faith and a common interest in Jesus. And, and so uh, the C.S. Lewis, when he's writing about this, this philia love, he says, um, um, it's got a common interest. He says, lovers, those that are kind of engaged in eros or that romantic love, are normally face-to-face absorbed with each other, while friends are side to side, absorbed with some common interest. 
And that, I think, is a really interesting word picture, right? You think of this, this romantic love that we see in movies and we hear about in songs, and it's kind of so pervasive that when we think of love, it's, it's pretty well the primary one that we think of. And that's, that's two people looking at each other, absorbed in one another. I love you so much. I love you so much. And then they kind of go like back and forth in that, where there's this, this picture that, that C.S. Lewis gives of two individuals standing alongside one another, engaging in something together. And that, that even just that picture shows like a beauty in the friendship that exists there. And so we can define philia in, in all kinds of different ways. We can dig down on all the different definitions of philia, but it only is important to us in so much as we understand it, and then we begin to understand the love that God has for us. And so today, I actually don't want to spend a bunch of time like outlining philia in and of itself and what that, that is, but I want to spend more time looking at examples of this friendship relationship because as I was approaching this topic, I began to think, do I understand this love properly? Do I have examples to look to of this love in scripture? Do I have examples to look to of this love in my life? I mean, I can wrap my head around, around storge. I can wrap my head around affection. I, you know, I have a family. I know the kind of love that my parents have for me. I, I've now got a daughter. I know the kind of love that, that exists there. I'm sure many of us would, would be able to relate and empathize with that. And then romantic love, I mean, like, we can all kind of empathize with that on some level. It's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty clear. But this friendship love, I began to wonder, like, do I have examples of this that I can look to? And have I ever really truly experienced this in my own life? And what does that look like, that, that love and that friendship? So I want to just open up uh, scripture to a couple of different examples. But before we do that, I skipped over uh, kind of the major verse that, that I want to talk to when it comes to, um, comes to talking about this. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn to John 15, verse 11 to 13. And I'll give maybe a couple seconds for the screen team because I didn't give you my verses before I came up here. Sorry, Rachel. But uh, John 15, verse 11 to 13, man, you guys are fast. It says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy, it may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus continues on in that passage and I I don't wanna read more of it because we're gonna unpack it a little bit more next week to talk about how he calls us friends how he looks to the people here that he's created, that he is Lord and that he is Savior and that he's creator, but he also sees us as friends. There's a friendship relationship that we are invited into in our relationship with God. So as we understand Philia more, as we understand this almost unnecessary love that God has towards us, we can understand greater the love that he has and the love that we're able to demonstrate to those around us. And so looking at a couple of different examples in scripture, I began to go, okay, cool. What are, what are my points of reference for this? And, um, and there are lots of different examples in Scripture, and some of them are uh, really good friendships. Some of them are not so great friendships. You think about um, Job and the friends that he has in the book of Job. And Job, maybe you haven't heard of this story. It's a story of a man who had basically everything. He had a great family. He had a great house. He had all these different possessions. And God removes all of these things from his life to see what Job's response will be. Will he, be respond, will he respond with faithfulness, or will he kind of um, begin to get angry and frustrated and, and displeased with God? And when God removes these things from Job's life, you see the friends that are around Job rush in and they begin to, to sit with Job and they begin to help him process all that's happening. And so there's actually something really beautiful about the friends that Job has because in his moment of weakness, in his moment of struggle, you find them all there with him. They don't abandon him, they don't leave him, but they actually, these three friends, they show up. Now it kind of like turns a little bit for the worse because the advice that they give him is, is pretty bad. And Job like kind of has to keep a focused like head throughout the story and not really listen to those friends. But the fact that they're there, the fact that they showed up is, is, is actually a really like interesting demonstration of the friendship that they had with Job. Another, another example in scripture is Abraham and Lot. And they are family, but it's kind of like 
uh, everybody's family in the Old Testament, basically. And, um, and the relationship that Abraham and Lot have with one another, Lot gets taken captive, and, and Abraham uh, gathers all of these men, and he chases after Lot. And there's a friendship, there's a dynamic there where Abraham will go above and beyond to, to protect and to take care of his friend. You see um, a lot of friendships in the life of David. And the, the life of David, as outlined in First uh, and Second Samuel and, and some of uh, the books of Kings, really it is like, he, David is probably the best example. And I want to just give you this example, and I would love for you to go and, and kind of do a little bit of study on this yourself. Because David has all kinds of different friends that come into his life for different seasons, and they pull different things out of David in different seasons. I, I think about the one friend that after um, David has gone and kind of slept with Bathsheba and gone and killed her husband and all of this like terrible stuff has happened. This friend, this advisor to David comes, and he calls David out, and he says, like, I know what you've done. You know what you've done. You need to repent. And there's this, this kind of interaction and engagement with this friend. And then there are many other friends that David has all throughout the scriptures. And you see this, like David really, apart from Jesus, as this guy in, in, in scripture that has just all of these friends and these, these relationships in his life that he carries with him and that speak to him at different stages. And it's interesting because David is kind of marked as a man after God's own heart. And you see this friendship is so significant and important to him. Probably the greatest example of this in the life of David is his friendship with Jonathan. So David, he was like a, a young like farmer boy. You've, maybe we've heard of the story of David and Goliath, right? And he slays Goliath, and he's anointed um, to be the, the future king of Israel, to be the future king of God's people. And Saul, the current king of God's people, doesn't really like that, of course, because this guy's going to come and usurp him. And Saul has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan is, is heir to the throne. If nothing changes, as it stands, Jonathan will become king over time. But he builds this friendship with David. He loves David. He, he loves David as himself. If you look in uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 to 4, it says this. Um, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not uh, let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off his robe that he was wearing, and he gave it to David. And he gave him his tunic, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. So what's really interesting in that passage is this love that David has, or that Jonathan has for David, and then this love that David has for Jonathan reciprocated, where Jonathan says, like, in that passage of Scripture, he, he loved him as himself. Jonathan loved David as himself. What is the, like, two greatest commandments as Jesus had boiled them all down? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jonathan exemplifies this love of God to love David. And then what he does is really interesting. This whole image of him taking off his clothes and giving him his, his sword and his shield and his bow. This is Jonathan saying like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to just run in line for the whole kingdom as, as is my rightful right. But I'm acknowledging you as the anointed one that God has anointed. And I'm, and I'm submitting myself in our friendship to you. And it's this beautiful moment in their, in their friendship where they make a covenant with one another and they build a relationship. And you track with their story over those books in the Bible, and, um, and Jonathan is constantly helping David out, and, and David is constantly taking care of Jonathan. There's this reciprocal relationship that really is beautiful as you, as you jump into it. And then I look at the life of Jesus, and I think through just the way that he carried himself in the different spaces that he was in. And Jesus was uh, somebody that had all kinds of friends. And everywhere he was going, he was making friends. He was building relationships. And sometimes we can think of friends as like a limited thing. Like we can kind of go like, okay, I have this many friends and, and, and I can't really fit any more into my life. And there's a real time constraint in our life as people. We don't have time to just spend with every single person all the time in the world that we meet. But as we get to know them, as we get to build relationships, there's not like a, a capacity on the love that we can have for our friends. 
So you see this in the life of Jesus where he keeps meeting people and he invites them into relationship with him and he loves them and he builds these friendships and he builds these relationships with the people around him. A really special example of this in the life of Jesus is, uh, is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And this family that Jesus meets and he begins to build a, a friendship and a relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and the relationship becomes so strong that these three people actually speak pretty candidly with Jesus over the course of their friendship. Um, there's a time where, where Lazarus, he actually dies, and, and Mary and Martha, they call Jesus to come because he's very sick, and they ask that Jesus would come and heal him, and Jesus is busy with some other stuff, so he doesn't come immediately, and Lazarus dies, and Jesus gets there, and, uh, and Martha is pretty ticked about it. And in John 11, she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And before Jesus goes and, and raises Lazarus back to life, he spends time mourning and weeping with the family. To go like, this is, Jesus is in the thick of their life with them. People that really, like, they're not family to him. They're his, like, his creation, but they're his friends. And he spends this time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Um, you even see this in, in, in his dynamic with the disciples, this, these 12 people that he's gathered around him, but specifically the three of um, Peter, James, and John, the relationship that he has with them. And they see him in some of his highest moments, and his, and his lowest moments, of so the transfiguration, and then also in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes and dies on the cross, and they get to see the span of Jesus and, and what his life looks like, and they walk through him and all that, and Jesus allows them into that. Jesus was also criticized for the friendships that he had with the people in the world around him. Luke uh, 5, 30 to 32, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So you see even in Jesus, the people that he spends his time with, he's building these relationships with people from all different backgrounds and all different um, understandings. And I began to think about this in my own life, and I thought, I understand these different loves. Do I understand the love of a friend? Am I able to love somebody selflessly like this? Do I see them the way that Jesus sees them? Am, am I able, do I have like a not even like a Jonathan in my life, but do I have a relationship in my life where I don't see some kind of utility to that relationship? There's just a friendship and a love for that other person. And I wanna, I wanna tell you a little bit about um, my friend Josh this morning. And I think that even just expanding on, on the relationship that we have, it kind of helped me see better the love that God has, and I hope that it helps us better today see the love that God has for us and what, what a friendship relationship can look like. So Josh, uh, Josh and I met uh, probably nine years ago, um, and a little bit of, of my story, if we haven't had a chance to talk about it, I, I traveled around a lot growing up, and the longest place that I lived uh, before high school um, was four months, and so I never really built any deep, lasting friendships as I was growing up. We just kind of bounced around often, and so I remember I moved to Thailand, and I kind of bounced around there a little bit too and didn't really build friendships, and then I moved here to Waterloo, and the first week that I came to Waterloo, I went to a church that a friend um, of a friend of a friend of a friend that happened to see me on Instagram was moving to the city, invited me out to, and I went with them, and on the first Sunday, um, I come to the church, and I meet Josh, and Josh is, is, I'm standing at the front of the church, and Josh is down one of these aisles, and he's, and he's, got, a, he's got a Starbucks cup in his hand, and he's got a big smile on his face, and he's kind of like sauntering down to the front of the, the aisle, and he gets 10 feet away from us, this group of people, and he trips, and he drops his Starbucks cup, and it flips twice, and it lands upside down on the ground. The lid is on the ground, perfectly upside down. It doesn't spill at all. And without skipping a beat, Josh leans down. He scoops it up. He drinks it while making eye contact with everybody, puts it in his other hand, and goes, hi, I'm Josh. And I just thought, this is the coolest person I've ever met in my entire life. Who is this guy? 
that night we went back to his house and we had a sleepover because we were 18 and you still had sleepovers when you're 18 and we began to talk about what God had done in our life and, and what our lives looked like and how we got to the point that, that we were at and he shared his story with me and I shared my story. I think, Rachel, do you want to put that first photo with the, can, the cotton candy stuff? This is actually taken on the day that Josh and I met one another. Look at how little we are and look, he's got that stupid coffee cup in his hand still. And we began to build a friendship together, and this was in 2013. And, and, uh, and then over, over that year, it was my first year in university, and I was really struggling um, in university. And, and my family, they lived in Thailand, and I was having a hard time planting myself and figuring out what my life would look like and getting a job and carrying all these bills and responsibilities. And Josh had a car, and I didn't have a car. And Josh would come to my house, and he would pick me up, and he would take me to all the things that he was doing. And he would integrate me into the lives and the friendships that he had. And I remember every, every Friday night he'd come over and we had 18-year-old metabolisms and so we would order the Godzilla deal from, uh, is it twice a deal pizza that does that? Two extra larges for 20 bucks? And we would sit down, he would eat one and I would eat one on a Friday night. And we would crush these pizzas out and we would do stupid stuff. Do you have that photo of the guitars? Like this. This is probably like the worst photo that I could put, but what are we doing? It's just a, there's nobody else around except for whoever took this photo. We're just doing this dumb stuff, and we're building a friendship, and we're going like, this is like, what are we doing? Remember, we'd go to the beach all the time, and we'd do all these different things, and, and we began to really, really build a relationship. I remember the day that I moved in with his parents, and, uh, and, and they had a spare bedroom in their house, and I needed somewhere to live because the living situation that I had wasn't working out so well, and they invited me to come live with them. I remember the day that they needed to do some renovations on that spare room, so they asked if I would move into Josh's room, and we bought bunk beds, and I slept on the top bunk, and he slept on the bottom bunk. And we shared a closet. It was the worst four months of my life and probably the worst four months of our relationship. And I pray that I never have to go through that again. But it bonded us. And we built, built our relationship deeper. I remember the night that the church we were going to, we were really involved in it. And we asked the pastor if we could just sleep in the church overnight one night just to see what it was like. And uh, he said it was fine. And we set up obstacle courses around the church. And we ran through all the stuff. And we ended up falling asleep. And he slept in one pew and I slept in the other pew. And it was so dumb, but we just did all these things together. It was, it was foolishness. It was silly. I remember some of the, the darker, more challenging times in our friendship. I remember that first year when I was really struggling to, to cope with living in Canada. And I, um, one night it got really bad, and, uh, and I wanted to just forget about all the stuff I was stressed about. And I was at my aunt and uncle's house, and they had a, had a hot tub in the backyard. And I remember I wanted to get into some trouble, and so I called this girl from school that I knew was trouble because I wanted trouble. And I uh, invited her over, and we were hanging out in the backyard. And, um, and then I, I, it's, it's late, and my, my aunt and uncle, they were way to cottage. And I remember thinking in, in the moment, man, this is, this is a bad decision, but it's going to go from a bad decision to something that I'm going to really regret for, for the rest of my life. And I was, just, I was too upset, and I didn't care, and I just wanted to forget about all the stuff that was going on. And I see a set of lights pull up in the driveway, and I freak out because I'm like, oh, my gosh, my aunt and uncle, they're back. They're going to kill me. And uh, about 10 seconds later, you see Josh kind of sauntering down the side of the house, another stupid Starbucks mug in hand. And he gets to the bottom, and without nothing was happening yet, praise God, we we're in a hot tub. And Josh gets to the bottom, and he sees us. And he goes like this, and then he goes, can, can I come in? <laughs> and he proceeds to go inside and get it, one of my bathing suits, and he jumps in the hot tub. And needless to say, 10 minutes later, this girl left, and she was annoyed, and I was annoyed. And as she was driving away, I remember Josh looked at me, and he said, you really think that was a good idea? Then he asked me, is this, is this the kind of guy that you want to be? I remember a couple weeks later, 
similar situation I was like, I was like man I, I just can't handle all this stuff right now and I left my house to go do something that I knew I would regret and I left my phone on my bed so that nobody could stop me nobody would call me I wouldn't get dissuaded or distracted I'm walking down the road and a car drives by and it slams on its brakes and it backs up and Josh pokes his head out of the car he says dude I've been trying to call you I wanted to hang out so I just figured I'd drive to your house and here you are why don't you get in and we'll go do something Josh has saved my life a couple of times. He also uh, killed me, almost killed me once. We were driving to Pearson Airport and we hit a patch of black ice on the road because we were listening to Switchfoot too loud in the car. And we spun out and our car hit a, hit a tow truck. And you can throw that next photo up and that was our car. And, and then you can hit the next photo because there's photos of us in the ambulance on the way back. And this was me with the gas mask on and then another one of Josh. <laughs> Slinging his arm like an idiot. Remember that, that, that day a lot. I remember another day in coffee culture in Uptown. I promise our, our friendship is reciprocal because the time that Josh was his day, he's in a really toxic relationship and it was it was eating him alive. And I remember sitting in coffee culture with him and I asked him if I could share this stuff. I'm not just airing his dirty laundry, but we're sitting in the coffee culture. I remember tears in my eyes saying, Josh, like, you gotta stop, man. Back with tears, and I say, I, I can't, I don't know how. I remember better days like the day that he stood beside me on our wedding day, Beth and I. So you can throw that photo up too. <laughs> and the day I got to stay beside him. struggling I'll call Josh even this week just ask for prayer call me pray for each other we process through things together it's a beautiful friendship it's a beautiful relationship but as I was processing through all of this stuff and going down memory lane last night and man I hope that I don't get this weepy in the rest of the services today but as I was thinking about this I just thought man what a blessing it is to have a friend in Josh but even deeper than that what a blessing it is to have a friend in Jesus it wasn't Josh that saved me on those two nights it was Jesus using Josh it wasn't Josh that saved me in that car accident Josh was the one that put us there still an empty love. It's still a broken love in and of itself. 
unless it's coupled with the agape love that God has for us as people, you don't get away from that selfishness. You don't get away from using Josh's rides to meet friends. You don't get away from any of those things. But what carries you through those seasons of weeks in and weeks out of prayer and worry and can't stand this girl that he's dating and can't stand the person that I'm becoming and all this stuff, what carries us through that is a foundational common interest in God. Foundational common interest in understanding that we are two children of God, two friends of God. And for us here, John 15, 11, 3, I've told you this so that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That we would build relationships and friendships with one another out of the love that God has for us. Greater love has no one than this. That he would lay down his life for his friend. And this is the love that we see in Jesus. That he would come and that he would lay down his life for those he would call friends. And that's a beautiful thing. To know that Jesus is not just our Lord. To know that Jesus is not just our Savior. To know that Jesus is not just our Father. But He's our friend. That He'll walk through different seasons of life with us. And in all those moments, before Josh pulled alongside of the car and, and invited me in, that Jesus was walking alongside me in that. And I'm sure even in these moments, you can think through some of those dark times in your life. Just a reminder that Jesus is walking alongside you in that. It's a beautiful thing, this love that God has for us. But again, outside of the love that God has for us, if we don't understand that this first comes from God, it doesn't really mean anything. It's not going to change anybody's life. As we look to the people around us, as we look to the world around us to be friends and to be building relationships with those of our, our colleagues and coworkers, and what does God, how does God love them, and how does God love me, and how can I be a demonstration of that love through a friendship with them that can build over time? Jesus, as much as friendships come around common interests, Jesus, his disciples, it had tax collectors and it had um, zealots, which would have really not liked each other at the time. They both were able to put all that aside and gather around in friendship around the thing that did matter, which is the gospel and the love that God had for them. So why don't we why don't we stand up this morning at all of our services? Uh, we give an opportunity for people to make a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe today, as we're talking about things and we're talking about love and, and this this philia you're going man i didn't realize god loved me like that i didn't realize there was a friend that i had in jesus that there was more to my relationship than just being afraid of some god that's out there but that i could actually build a friendship with god that he would see me in my week in and week out of my day in and day out i want to give an opportunity for those to make a decision to follow jesus and so with every head bowed and every eye closed i just want to explain a little bit of what i'm talking about John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Today I want to extend an opportunity for us to say, hey, I want to make a decision to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to submit my life to Jesus. Even as Jonathan took off all of his robes and his weaponry and gave it to David and submitted himself to David, we submit ourselves to Jesus today. If that's you for the first time here this morning, you're hearing about this love you want to respond to that love, I want to invite you in just a moment to raise your hand. So I'll just count to three, and the raising of a hand is just an outward expression of what the Holy Spirit is doing on the inside of you to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make a decision to put my faith, my trust, my belief in Jesus. I want to accept the friendship and the gift of salvation that God gives me. One, Jesus loves you so much. Two, he desires a relationship with you. Three, if that's you, I just want to invite you to raise your hand this morning to accept that free gift 
salvation, belief in Jesus. just God, that you aren't just Savior, even though that's enough, Lord. again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.